Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card, right this way, it's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The 2021 MLB season is here, and although the seats may not be full, your bankroll has the chance to be. Ray Hoops Peterson has you covered for every game, every day this season, along with comprehensive analysis and angles for getting to the window while celebrating the walk-off winners and blown saves of what will be a wild season. Now it is time for the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson. A warm and fuzzy low. Welcome to Lovey Las Vegas for the Baseball Betting Podcast. Myself, Greg Peterson. We've got a great show for you as in the second segment our good buddy Curtis Rogers of 710 ESPN does pre and post game work for the Mariners is going to be joining me in the second segment. We're going to be talking to him about whether or not the Mariners themselves have staying power out there in an interesting AOS to say the least. We're going to be taking a look at the division in general. We're also going to be taking a look and seeing if the New York Yankees in their recent run is sustainable or a product of playing the Baltimore Orioles and the Tigers. So going to have a great chat there in the final segment. Going to give you guys sign total on every game on the betting board for this Tuesday as we touch them all. Do note that the betting board today is a little bit more messy. We wound up having two rainouts yesterday and there's a lot of moving parts with the betting board. So if it's a little bit more herky-jerky than normal, that is the reason why. And I do apologize about that. But one thing that I don't apologize about is always offering you guys a chance to be able to fire in your Twitter questions. You got one of two ways to be able to ask something that you might want answered on the podcast. My Twitter timeline at JerusCordy1 is the first one. Keep in mind those letters, yeah, they mean does not matter. The other way is find an Apple podcast review. If you rate this podcast, 
podcast, baseball betting podcast with Greg Peterson, five stars. It is very much appreciated. I know that many of you guys ask what the best way to be able to support this podcast is. Just merely download and listen every day and rate the podcast five stars if you get an opportunity and you've done all that you need to and it is much appreciated. And then from there, you're able to send your questions, comments, segment ideas, what have you, into there. And we did get a one question today, so let's dive in. So you have questions and Greg may or may not have any insight into them, but let's dive into the Twitter mailbag. We get this one from Mr. DeGenerosity, yes, at Jaren's 41. How many good slash bad starts does a pitcher need for them to be a fade slash tail? And this is a circumstance in which it all depends. If you wind up having a guy coming off the injured list, he just gets completely destroyed. It's probably going to be a situation in which I'm not going to be finding a lot of value on them. And no player, no team, anything like that is an automatic fade or an automatic tail. That's because it is all based on the numbers that you're getting with these guys. So I'm going to be fading a guy at a certain number. I'm going to be putting them up and down, things like that. Like I talk about player X, player Y being a fade. Well, if you wind up giving me like plus a thousand on him, well, you know what? There's going to be an opportunity there. But we're just talking with regards to having a good slash bad price on these guys. But it's one of these circumstances in which a guy could get shelled for a couple starts, but if the defense behind him is not giving you anything, like you take a look at the Philadelphia Phillies on Sunday Night Baseball with that infield, I don't know if anyone could be successful with that, not even a guy like a Corbin Burns or a Jacob deGrom. I'm going to be evaluating them a little bit more differently than I'm going to be evaluating someone who maybe was looking a little bit solid at the beginning of the year, then he's just getting shelled time and time again. I'm looking at these guys that they wind up walking a bunch of guys too, like Shoei Otani, he wound up getting scratched from his start yesterday, but he's a guy that I'm not necessarily having in too high of regard because while he's been able to get the job done in his starts, 32070 RA, very respectable, 13 walks and 13 and two-thirds innings. If you continue to do that, that is going to hurt you. A guy like a Robbie Ray, if he winds up posting up a good ERA, but he continues walking five guys per nine innings, he keeps on giving up homers, he's going to be a little bit more likely to be on the fade list than a guy that maybe has a little bit of an elevated ERA, but you can tell that he's not giving up a lot of contact. He's maybe the victim of a bad circumstance, so it is all based on what you are seeing. Not necessarily, oh, he's had two bad starts, we're going to be fading him moving forward or something like that, and obviously, injured list has a lot to do with it as well. Always appreciate the questions. Thank you so much. Glad to be able to answer that one. We have wound up having a little bit of a shorter slate in Major League Baseball than expected on Monday, but it was still a solid one, so let's take a look back at it, try to find some trends, and try to get to know these teams a little bit better. Games from yesterday is Greg buzzing about. Here is the Rowdy Recap. You had one game on Monday that was decided by more than two runs, and that was the Tampa Bay Rays taking it to the LA Angels. And the reason why this game was decided by more than two runs Jose Guitana, another terrible start. He punches out nine and three and two-thirds innings. Problem is, he also gave up five runs in the process, all of which were earned, taking him deep in this one. Willie Adamas has third home run the season. Rossi Iglesias, who has not been good for the Angels, he winds up giving up a home run as well. Manuel Margot was able to get going on him. His third of the season, Tyler Glass. Now, he punches out eight over the course of six innings, three runs given up, so not necessarily the world's greatest performance from him. Gave up a bomb to Anthony Rendon, his third of the campaign. Choi Utani gets his ninth O. Johnny could not pitch in this one, but he certainly hit, and he hit well, but for the Tampa Bay Rays, did a very good job hitting with men in scoring position 3 of 10. With that regard for the Angels, you were able to get a couple of decent innings out of Junior Guerra along Patrick Sandoval out of the bullpen and combined three and two-thirds scores from them, and they've also brought in James White. He was able to give them a pair of outs, and for the Tampa Bay Rays, a bullpen that was very shoddy to begin the year, seems to be finding it Diego Castillo, winds up pitching the ninth, Ryan Thompson, 
Jeffries, Franks, they combined for two scoreless innings. You wound up getting not a lot of bullpen pitching out there in Minnesota as the Twins were able to take down the Texas Rangers by a count of 6-5. After a solid start to the year, Dane Dunning seems to be regressing a little bit, but still not too bad in this one. Gives up three runs, two of which were earned in five and two-thirds innings. Colby Allert, I have no idea why they left him out there to pitch north of two innings, two and a third innings. Gives up three runs, all of which were earned in. For the Texas Rangers, they were able to claw back late in this one. Joey Gal gets a home run off of Taylor Rogers, his third of the season, and Adolius Garcia was able to get his sixth home run of the season. That comes off a Minnesota Twins bullpen that has not been good. The Garcia home run comes off of Brandon Waddell, and you wind up having Rogers being able to give up that home run for Waddell. He gives up three runs while recording one out, and for Rogers, he gives up two runs in an inning, but Ty Duffy able to give you two scholar outs. Cody Sashek, who's had his ups and downs, scoreless inning, Caleb Theobar was able to get a pair of outs, and for Kenta Maeda, terrific start in this one. Five and a third innings, gives up just two hits, had his pitch count elevated a little bit, but he was able to work around that. And for the Minnesota Twins, they wind up going three of eight with men in scoring position. One of the worst teams out there in the American League entering into Monday's action was able to get right there. For the Milwaukee Brewers, it was one bad inning that just absolutely killed them. Four to three, the Philadelphia Phillies wind up being able to knock off the Brewers in this one for the Phillies. Two runs in the first, two runs in the second. Adrian Elzer gives up four runs over the course of six innings, including home run. Being able to go deep for the Philadelphia Phillies in this one. JT Riomito, he was able to get his third of the season. And for Vince Velasquez, he gave up a solo home run to one of the Brewers' new acquisitions, I guess you could say, as Lorenzo Kane, who has been banged up for quite a while, gets his third of the season. But by and large, Vince Velasquez, a very good start. Sam Coonrod was able to come out of the bullpen for a solid inning. Connor Brogdon, he has not been good for the team. Now rocking a 7.15 ERA, he gives up two runs. But Ekstrand Harris, a five-out save. Not necessarily what you expected for the Milwaukee Brewers. You were able to have Anel Perdomo along with Drew Rasmussen give you scoreless innings. So a little bit of something there for the Brewers. For the Metropolitans, they wind up actually getting some runs. They had entered into their weekend series last week against the Philadelphia Phillies. Everything right around three runs per game on the road. They wind up being able to put up a five spot, but Joey Lucchese in a little bit of a spot start, unable to get the job done. Six to five the final. For Lucchese, he was able to get eight total outs, but he gave up six runs all of which were in. And then Robbie Gazelman gives you two and a third scoreless. Sean Reed Foley, two scoreless. Jacob Barnes, a inning scoreless. This Mets bullpen, outside of Edwin Diaz, has actually been relatively solid so far this year. And for the St. Louis Cardinals, Adam Wainwright, he is up and solid. He gives up five runs over the course of five and two-thirds innings, but you can trust in their bullpen. Genesis Cabrera, Giovanni Gallegos, Alex Reyes, I'll give you a scoreless inning, and Ryan Aisley was able to give you an out as well, but for the St. Louis Cardinals as well. Going deep off of Lucchese, you had Harrison Bader get his second home run the campaign, and Nolan Arenado was able to get his fifth as Kevin Pillar, back-to-back days with the home run for him, his second of the campaign. So the Mets are now 11-12, and and that means that I believe every team out there in the NL East is at or below five. 500, which I find to be very intriguing. That's not the case out there in the NL West. The San Diego Padres continue their winning ways against the Pittsburgh Pirates by a count of 2-0. Bullpen game for the Padres. They've used their bullpen for the most innings of any team out there in baseball, and they wind up giving the start to Miguel Diaz. Three scoreless settings for him, and then from there, Craig Salmon, two scoreless. You have Austin Adams, Tim Mill, Drew Pomerantz, Mark Blanson, in order from there, give you all scoreless innings, giving up a combined one in the process. And for the Padres, it's not like they necessarily left the world on fire on offense. You wound up having Tyler Anderson give you a good start here. Tough luck loser. Two runs given up in six and two-thirds innings. Clay Holmes gives you in out, and then you wind up getting a scoreless inning out of David Bernard. But for the Pittsburgh Pirates, the power for this team is not necessarily there. They got four hits. They weren't able to get a big one. For the Oakland A's, they were able to get a couple big hits. Five to four, they wind 
Brian for taking down the Toronto, a.k.a. Dunedin, now Buffalo Blue Jays. For the Blue Jays, they weren't able to get any home runs, but they did go 4 of 9 with men in scoring position, but Steven Matz looks like he's reverted back to form. He looked very good to begin the year, not so good in this one. Gives up 5 runs, including 2 home runs over the course of 5 innings. Travis Bergen was able to give you 5 outs, and then you have Tim Maza being able to give you the final 4, but for the Oakland A's, the home runs come off of a pair of guys that have been a little bit up and down this year. Ramon Laureano seems to be finding it. His sixth of the campaign, Stephen Pascotti gets his third. And Frankie Montas, not a great, not a terrible start. Three runs given up over the course of six innings. Lutrovino gave up a run on the bullpen, but Sergio Romo had a hold. He gave up nothing in an inning, and Jake Diekman was able to get the save for an Oakland A's team that has really been able to ascend over these last couple weeks. If you wound up having the under in Orioles versus Seattle Mariners, you had an unexpected sweat. It was 1-0 going into the top of the 8th inning. The teams are up for 7. Fortunately, the total was set at 8.5, so we didn't have a bad beat there. But 5-3, to three, the Orioles are able to get the win. Pair of home runs in the 8th for the Orioles. That would be Freddie Galvis' third of the campaign. And Cedric Mullins was able to get his 5th as he was able to hit his off of Austin Michevich. And then you had Wyatt Mills give up a home run as well as Eric Swanson wound up being able to get a pretty much open for the Seattle Mariners. They went with a bullpen game. He went two scoreless. Will Vest has been solved for the team. He got five outs. Domingo Tapia was able to give you a scoreless setting. Drew Seconrider gave you four outs. Keenan Middleton was able to give you a scoreless setting. But those two guys, Mashevich and Mills, will really costed you. And for the Seattle Mariners, you wind up having Tom Murphy go deep off of Dean Kremer for his start home run the campaign. And then Sean Armstrong winds up giving up a home run to Mitch Hanniger, who's having a resurgence. His eighth of the season. Obviously, we're going to be talking a little bit more about the Seattle Mariners with our good buddy Curtis Rogers in the next segment. But you take a look at Kremer. He gives up that one solo home run over the course of six innings. Cole Solzer gives you a scoreless inning. Now, Mr. Sean Armstrong, I think I called him Scott earlier, winds up giving up two runs in a third of an inning. If you wind up giving up two runs while recording one out, you deserve to you get your name called wrong. But Cesar Valdez was able to get the save. And Tanner Scott comes in for a pair of outs. And all of a sudden, Baltimore Orioles not playing bad baseball. 14 and 15 overall. They are a team that they have won two out of their last three here in the month of May. And I think that overall, they have actually been able to win like four out of five. So Orioles starting to put a little bit of something together. Speaking of being able to put a little bit of something together, Cleveland Indians, they've now won back-to-back day games. Eight to six of final for the Cleveland Indians. Aaron Savali, not necessarily a great start, not a terrible start. Five and two-thirds innings. He gives up three runs. From there, Brian Shaw gives up two runs out of the bullpen. James Karinczak gives up a home run of his own, but Emmanuel Clase has actually become a good reliever for this team. He gets a save as going deep for the Kansas City Royals. Hunter Dozier and Whit Merrifield both get their fourth home run the campaign, but it was the debut of Mr. Daniel Lynch. Could have been worse. Four and two-thirds innings, he gives up three runs, but it was Jacob Junis who came out of the bullpen. He was supposed to start this game. They shouldn't have had him pitch at all. Gives up five runs while recording five outs, including two home runs to the poopy Cleveland Indians lineup. Eddie Rosario, his start of the season. Josh Naylor, his first. And then from there, you had Scott Barlow give you an out, and Greg Holland also, as well as Josh Shamount, Tyler Zuber. They were both able to give you scoreless innings, but what you wound up getting out of Jacob Junis, not necessarily too terrific. But what is very terrific and what is coming up next, that would be a chat with our good buddy Curtis Rogers out there with 710 ESPN in Seattle. Going to be talking about the Mariners the AL West, the New York Yankees, and so much more. That is on the other side right here on the Baseball Betting Podcast with myself, Dave Peterson. Greg is calling in a pinch hitter from the Overtime Network Hotline. And we're back here 
MLB Las Vegas for the Baseball Betting Podcast. Myself, Greg Peters, and it is great to be joined by our next guest. This man does pre and post game work for the Seattle Mariners. He is based out there in the lovely city of Seattle, doing work with 710 ESPN. He does a lot of other things as well, along with work for the Seattle Mariners. He does some work with regards to the Seattle Seahawks and their regular season programming. You've also got him doing the Seattle Sports Site and Seattle Sports Saturday podcast. List goes on and on, and you're able to find those podcasts wherever you get this one, as it is Curtis Rogers, your enemy, and you're able to follow him on Twitter at a kid from Kent. And Curtis, it is always great to get you aboard. Thank you so much for joining me. Greg, always a pleasure to join you. We're a month into the season now. It's all very real. I'm excited to get into what we're going to be talking about here this week. I'm right there with you. It is absolutely tremendous that now we've got a full month under our belt. And when you take a look at the hierarchy in baseball, how do you gauge these teams after a month? Do you think that maybe some of these surprise teams like the San Francisco Giants, like the Royals, do you think that they might still come back to the pack? Do you think that what we're seeing is real with them? Because I do think that it is so intriguing because a lot of these teams – after about a month or so, you'd think that they'd fade a little bit, but we do know the tried and true example of the Washington Nationals a few years ago in 2019 had a losing record after 60 games. They wind up winning the World Series, so I feel like it works both ways. Yeah, I think of those two teams you mentioned, the Giants and Royals, I think I'm more of a believer in the Giants right now than I am in the Royals. Now, I do think the Royals have a much easier division in order to kind of weave their way through. I think the White Sox stand to be their stiffest competition in the AL Central. Maybe the Twins, if they can right the ship, but right now they haven't looked so hot. They're only 10-16 and 16 as of this moment. But in the West, I mean, yeah, you've got the Dodgers and Padres. Those are probably going to be the two best teams talent-wise in the National League. But I think the Giants, for whatever reason, can stand to make some ground here in the uh, NL West. I mean, you look at their run differential, it is you know the second best in the National League right now. That's no joke, and Kevin Gosman has been just an incredible arm atop that rotation coming over from Baltimore a couple of years ago. People kind of wondered you know, whether or not he had anything left in the tank. He's been very good for them. And then you know, you look at that Dodgers team, they're kind of coming back down to earth after that 14-4 and start. Now they're just 17-12. and the, the Giants have been pretty consistent throughout the season. So I look for them to maybe you know, stick around and kind of throw a wrench into that two-team race or what we all thought was going to be a two-team race between the Padres and the Dodgers. Offensively, though, I mean, they still leave a lot to be desired. With Brandon Belt leading them in on-base percentage at just 326. Also got Evan Longoria, who has, you know, looked like Evan Longoria of Tampa Bay, which, I mean, I don't think anybody had ever seen that coming because... You know, his best years were way past him. So hopefully, you know, he can keep that up. But I think the Giants right now are a team that's a little bit more easier to buy in on than the Royals in terms of surprises. But, I mean, you just look across Major League Baseball right now. There are a ton of surprise teams, obviously, in the American League Central with the Royals. But, you know, out here in the West, you got the Mariners right neck and neck with the A's. In the National League East, no team is above 500, and everybody thought that was going to be the toughest division where you could make a case that all five teams could, you know, potentially go to the playoffs so it has been a very topsy-turvy first month of the season heck even the Boston Red Sox who were so god-awful the last couple of seasons they're leading the American League East so who knows what to expect after just a crazy first month of the season it certainly has been and you mentioned the Seattle Mariners and the fact that they're currently above 500 as well I think that even people within the organization thought this might be a little bit of a long season for them. And what's been most surprising about it is that Kyle Lewis, the AL Rookie of the Year, 
He started out the year on the injured list. He hasn't really found it so far. He's hitting below the Mendoza line of 200 entering into Monday's action. And I think that's so intriguing that the Seattle Mariners have been able to do what they've been able to do with him being hurt and not necessarily performing in general. Now, it is nice that Mitch Hanniger is back after he had one of the most brutal injuries you'll ever experience. You and your family should be just in vain when you end up hearing about that. But still, when you take a look at the Mariners, do you think that they do have some staying power out there in the AL West? I think their staying power is going to be based off of the health of guys that it can continue or in some cases that they can get some guys back. I mean, if Mitch Haniger can stay healthy throughout the entire season, that's going to be a huge boost. If Kyle Lewis can stay healthy as well because yeah, he's back in the lineup, he's got a couple of home runs, but like you said, he's batting below 200 right now. Throughout the course of his minor league career, he had dealt with some injuries. So if he could stay healthy and maybe just get some good at-bats under his belt, the confidence will pick up. And then you look at the rotation right now. They've been trying to run a six-man rotation out all season long, but they've had some serious injury problems with Marco Gonzalez going on the injured list last week. You have Nick Margavichis, who also went on the injured list. And then obviously James Paxton in his first start of the season, only throwing 24 pitches before finding out he needed Tommy John surgery. So it's hard to run a six-man rotation out there when you've got three guys who are currently on the injured list. They're running out. LJ Newsom right now, he got tagged in his last start against the Angels. Obviously, he gave up a home run to Mike Trout, who hasn't done that these days. Yeah. But I look at the, the healthy guys right now. Yusei Kikuchi was incredible his last start out against the Astros, only allowing one hit. Justice Sheffield looked pretty good against the Angels on Sunday. Chris Flexen, we've talked about him a little bit too. He's probably been the steadiest performer in that starting rotation this season. He's looked really good in his about, oh, 30 innings or so. And then Justin Dunn has time and time again outperformed kind of the expectations placed upon him. So there are some good names still in that rotation, but I don't know if they're necessarily going to be as great as they could be if healthy Marco Gonzalez were atop that group. But I think the health of this group is going to be a big reason as to why or why not they continue this uh, winning start to their season. And then also they're going to get some reinforcements like we've talked about hopefully over the next couple of months in Jared Kelnick and Logan Gilbert. It's going to be an interesting race in the Western Division here because, you know, the A's, they got up to the slow start, but then they had that huge win streak. The Astros have been stop and go. And then the Angels, I mean, you've got Mike Trout and Shohei Otani, but what else do you have? They haven't really shown a consistency that is needed to stay atop. So I think it is still wide open in the West. And interesting about Shohei Otani going into the game on Monday. 13 and two-thirds innings, 327 ERA, and a walks per nine rate of 8.6. I don't think I've (laughs) ever quite seen that before. And when you take a look at the Mariners as well, you mentioned their starting rotation, but what has actually really blown me away about this team has been the bullpen. Rafael Montero has been very good for this team. Drew Steckenrider, he's been able to come in. Will Vest, I don't know who in the world Will (laughs) Vest is until this year. He's been able to do an amazing job for this team. Do you think that this bullpen is able to keep it going? Because that's really the big question I have with the Mariners at this point. Yeah, just like anybody else covering this Mariners team, the bullpen has been the biggest shocker of them all because last year their bullpen was basura for our friends down (laughs) south. It was so bad watching them a year ago, but this year they have been probably the best bullpen in baseball, which is hard to believe. I mean, you look at guys like Anthony Masevich, the lefty, also Kendall Graveman, who has made the conversion from starter to reliever after dealing with some injury issues last year. Graveman has been not just the best reliever, 
reliever on the Mariners, but you could make the argument he's been one of the best relievers in baseball, just based off of baseball reference war or fan graphs war, whichever one you want to look at. He's been just nails shutting it down, and the Mariners have not really designated anybody as a closer. They have you know, thrown their best relievers against guys in situations that would call for needing your best reliever. That's why Kendall Graveman, despite the fact that he is probably the best reliever on the team, is not leading the team in saves. That would be Rafael Montero. Keenan Middleton also has been another good addition to that bullpen. He's been a bounce-back candidate after missing all of last year with an injury. He came over from the Angels organization. So this is a group that I think can really surprise people. You mentioned Will Vest, too. He was a, he was a Rule 5 pick out of the Detroit organization. You know, this is really his first taste of the big leagues, and if you wouldn't know it by the situations that Scott Service has put him in this season, he's been pitching a lot of high leverage innings as well, stuff that you don't normally give to a Rule 5 prospect. So there's plenty to like about this team in the bullpen. They also brought up Wyatt Mills, who's been in the farm system for a while. He's a side armor. I think a lot of people kind of compare him to maybe like a Carter Caps type reliever with a funky delivery. You know, there is a lot to like about this bullpen that I don't think a lot of people had kind of foreseen. You know, as we know, if you have a great bullpen, that shortens games up. You know, if you can get it to the sixth inning with a lead, a great bullpen can shore up the game and you've got to win more often than not. We're seeing that time and time again here. This Mariners bullpen has really been able to get the job done. To your point, Kendall Graveman, guy who I never had any faith in whatsoever as a starter. As I always said, if you were betting on Kendall Graveman, you're digging a grave for your bankroll. <laughs> this year, he's been much better, as we do have Curtis Rogers joining me on the podcast. And Curtis, just taking a look at this division in general, we've talked a lot about the Seattle Mariners, but I do think that the two most interesting teams out there are the Angels and the Astros, because with the Angels, I talk about Shoei Otani, the fact that he's been able to do a solid job with regards to ERA, but walking a lot of guys, and with the Angels in general, you take a look at their starting staff. I don't have a lot of faith in Alex Cobb was going to be going on Tuesday. Jose Quintana has been absolutely terrible for this team, and the Houston Astros, you just don't know what you're going to be able to get out of this team night in and night out. I feel like they're one of the most inconsistent teams in all of baseball, and I don't know what your thoughts are on both of these teams, but with the Astros, I do think that they'll be able to put it together. I think that they'll be able to give you a solid season because keep in mind, they've got a couple guys currently on the injured list as well. But with the Angels, I think that this is a team that they might start to fade because they're one of the best teams at being able to get home runs in baseball. And I think that that'll be able to maintain, but I just fear that the starting rotation is going to torpedo their entire year. I am right there with you, Greg. And looking at the Angels' upcoming schedule, it's not an easy one. Tampa Bay, Dodgers, Astros, Red Sox, Cleveland, Minnesota, Oakland. I mean, it's not an easy go of it here in the month of May for them. I think this is going to be a very telling month for them. And it really goes to show how lacking they are in pitching when you've got a guy like Mike Trout who's batting about 430 right now and Shohei Otani who is probably the most talented player in the game not named Mike Trout and yet they are hovering at 500 right now they've also got a lineup that you know has Anthony Rendon their lineup makes no sense as to why they're only at 500 right now it is just one of those things where they're going to have a tough time really digging themselves a place to breathe here in this American League West 
And you mentioned the Astros. They're a team that's getting healthier. They get that group of five back that missed so many games there with testing positive for COVID. Three of the biggest names on the team, Alex Bregman, Jose Altuve, and Jordan Alvarez. Alvarez has been incredible ever since coming back from COVID. So I think the Astros right now are still a very dangerous team out West. And I think they've got you know enough pitching as well to kind of make up for anything else that they've lost over the last couple of years. You know, no George Springer anymore, but seeing them up close against the Mariners last week in Houston, taking three or four from them, they have arms for days right now with Granke, Garcia, McCullers, Rikidi, Christian Javier too. That is a really good pitching staff, despite the fact that there is no Justin Verlander there this season. So I still think the Astros are going to be the team to beat in the American League West, but I welcome the competition because the Mariners right now have made it a little bit more interesting than I think everybody else had kind of anticipated. And the A's too, for as you know, cold as they were to start the season, they are not a team to be passing on here over the last couple of weeks. I totally agree with you as we do have Curtis Rogers of 710 ESPN does Seattle Mariners bringing postgame work joining me on the podcast. And I know that you don't necessarily cover the AL East as much, but I'm sure that you're very aware of what the New York Yankees have done so far this season. It's been a brutal ride for them. They are now winners of five out of their last six, but when you take a look at this team, how much of it do you think is a product of their schedule? Because they wind up going up against the Detroit Tigers, a Tigers team that I think we both agree, worst team out there in baseball. They wind up going up against the Baltimore's and actually lose a game of which Matt Harvey wound up starting in. And I take a look at the Yankees right now at 500, and I just have a feeling that this is a team that they were a little bit of the beneficiaries of a very polite schedule. They are now going up against the Houston Astros, who we were just talking about it, inconsistent team, but a team certainly with some talent. And I don't know what you're thinking on the Yankees moving forward. I think that they're going to be 500 when it's all said and done, but I do think that this recent winning streak that we've seen, not necessarily them, but a little bit more of a product of the schedule. You look at that lineup, there are some gaping holes in it. You know, you got guys like Aaron Hicks hitting a buck 57, Clint Frazier, Gary Sanchez, Rugnet Odor, Brett Gardner. I mean, they just cannot hit for the life of them. And even the guys who are hitting consistently, I mean, DJ LeMahieu's hitting way under where we kind of expect him to be around 300, 320. He's only at 269 right now. Glaber Torres doesn't even have a home run yet. He only has five extra base hits this season. You know, they've only got one home run combined actually out of LeMahieu and Torres. So that offense to me is falling way short of expectations, especially playing in one of the best hitters ballparks in the entire major leagues. I look at this Yankees team and if that offense can get it going, they're going to be fine. But I don't know if they're going to be able to dig themselves out just because of how wretched some of those guys have played so far this season. It's just been so bad from a lot of those guys. But like you said, their schedule has been favorable. And we all know that the Yankees feast on the Orioles. I'm actually surprised that Glaber Torres didn't hit a home run against the Orioles because, what was it, a couple of years ago, he hit like 20-something against the Orioles. So it's a very favorable schedule they've had to kind of get themselves back to 500 over the last week or so. But Houston, Washington, Tampa Bay, not an easy go of it. But then they get Baltimore, Texas. So maybe there is some ability for them to stick around 500, maybe make some additions here or there. But yeah, for whatever reason, the Yankees are not as intimidating, I think, as we had anticipated them to be. And I think it's very fair to to question whether or not they're actually a playoff team this year. I agree with you. And 
even though Glaber Torres did not wind up hitting 100 million billion home runs against the Baltimore Orioles in that series. You always hit a home run, Curtis. You do absolutely <laughs> terrific work out there with Seven Ted ESPN. Obviously, right now, your main focus is Seattle Mariners pre and post game work, but I know that you do a lot with regards to the day in and day out programming with Seven Ten ESPN. I know that you do some work with the Seattle Seahawks, obviously. They wind up having their draft over the weekend. You do the Seattle Sports Night, Seattle Sports Saturday podcast, and so much more. So let the good people at home know they're able to catch all of your work and how they're able to follow along on social media and elsewhere. Yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at a kid from Kent. Same on uh, Instagram there. And you can listen to me Monday through Friday from 11 to 2 with Jay Keeps and Stacey Rost. And then also Saturdays with Taylor Jacobs. Like you said, Seattle Sports Saturday, Seattle Sports at Night podcast. Always there at your fingertips and doing some Meredith's and post as well with curtis rogers he is doing a little bit of everything he does an absolutely terrific job out there with 710 espn and is always gracious enough to join me on this podcast and then my other podcast hooping with hoops which is all about college basketball and curtis covers a little bit of everything it does so also well so big thanks curtis rogers for joining me right here on the baseball betting podcast and coming up next it is that time the podcast thank you for your sign turtle on every game on the betting board for this tuesday as we touch them all Welcome back to the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson as we're off to a quality start. And now it's time to walk it off in a grand fashion. And we're back here in lovely Las Vegas for the Baseball Betting Podcast. Myself, Greg Peterson. A big thanks to Curtis Rogers. Doing great work with the Seattle Mariners doing their pre- and post-game work out there with 710 ESPN for joining me in the last segment. Now it is that time of the podcast. They give you a sign total on every game on the betting board for this Tuesday as we... Touch them all. If a game is listed on the betting board, Greg has a side and a total on it, so it is time to touch them all. Do note that any changes are made to these plays will be listed up on my Twitter feed at JaronSquirty1. We are going to be having a pair of double dips today, so when those come about, that'll be the Dodgers and the Cubs, along with the Giants and the Colorado Rockies. I'm going to be doing those all together, so those will be a little bit out of rotation order, but you should get the gist there. We do have a couple games that are just off the board in general, just because we do have some undecided pitchers as well. So, a couple landmines on today's betting board, but we're going to do our best to keep things all straight. And how rotation order works is that it goes National League first, and then the American League games after that, and then you've got any interleague games there, and then the writing games, which are the makeup games, those are going to be at the bottom. And landmines begin with 901-902 on the betting board, as you've got the Arizona Diamondbacks. And the road face-off gets Miami Marlins for the Diamondbacks. Good old to be determined is right now the starter for them. Meanwhile, Sandy Alcantara is going to be going for the Miami Marlins, and this is a spot in which with the Arizona Diamondbacks not knowing their starter, we've got nothing currently on this game with regards to lines, but for the Diamondbacks, actually second in the league when it comes to runs per game, but they are going to a Miami ballpark that is one of the more pitcher-friendly ballparks that you can find out there in the big leagues, and for Sandy Alcantara, he has been able to do a terrific job. Don't let the 1-2 record surprise you. He's only given up three home runs in 36 and two-thirds innings. He's been able to do a good job of being able to up his swing and misses. He's been getting fewer than eight punch-outs for his career per nine innings. He's getting right around one per inning this year, so that has been very good for him. And you take a look at what he's done at home. 295 ERA so far this year in three starts. Only allowed one home run. That's big. And then with the years of the Diamondbacks, this is a bunch in which you've got a couple guys that are currently on the injured list. It has not affected them. The fact that the Quitel Marte Parte is currently on the injured list. Cole Calhoun is as well. They've been able to get something out of Pavin Smith. He's been able to do relatively a solid job for the team. And then you even take a look at some of the unsung heroes of the team. You've got a guy, Eduardo Escobar, 
who's hitting right around 245, seven home runs. David Peralta hitting a 300. Carson Kelly hitting well above a 300. They wind up calling up Dalton Varsho, who wound up getting a little bit of playing time last season. He's now hitting a 444. Josh Roas, I believe, has went deep in now three of the team's last four games. So he has been on a little bit of a heater. And then when you take a look at the Miami Marlins, the lineup has been rough for this team. That's putting it very politely. Garrett Cooper just has not been able to so far this year. John Birdie has not gotten things going. Izan Diaz was able to take Mad Max Scherzer deep, but he's still hitting below the Mendoza line of 200, but Corey Dickerson has been able to pick it up. He's hitting above a 300. You've obviously got the other Marte, Starling Marte of the Marte Parte. He is currently out of the fold, but if you take a look at the lineup that they wound up trotting out there against the Washington Nationals on Sunday... Two guys in that starting lineup left the game hitting above a 200, but the bullpen pitching has been good. Adam Simber has been able to give you something. Gimi Garcia, Dylan Floro, not necessarily household names, but guys are able to hold it down. Meanwhile, for the years in the Diamondbacks, the bullpen isn't great. It's not terrible. Kevin Ginkle has been able to give you a couple solid innings. Stefan Kicktron as well. you got to figure that one of these guys like a Caleb Smith, maybe a Taylor Clark, they've got to be in line to be able to get this start because these are guys that have starting experience. Maybe an Alex Young as well. You wind up pairing some of those guys together. And in this spot, as a result, I probably would be setting the Miami Marlins as some form of a favorite. If it's someone like a Taylor Clark and Alex Young, I'd be probably putting them in the neighborhood about a minus 135, minus 140-ish, depending on how they Things wind up shaking out. I'd probably be putting this sort of right around where I'd be making anything of an 8 or lower a take on the over, 8.5 or higher a take on the under. A little bit of subject to change up, but initial thoughts there. 903-904 on the betting board. You've got the Atlanta Braves and they're in the road face off against Washington Nationals. Joe Ross is going to be going for the Nats. Meanwhile, Wascadia Noah is going to be going for the Atlanta Braves. Your tallest game is between 8.5 and, and 9. On the 9, the under is just a minus 120. The over is even on the 8.5. The over is anywhere between minus 115 to minus 125. Under is anywhere between minus 105 and plus 105. And if you're looking at the Bravos, find them anywhere between minus 126 and minus 135. Your plus price here with Washington is anywhere between plus 110 and plus 125. And for Joe Ross, he's gotten off to a relatively solid start so far this season. And you take a look at Waskar, you know, he himself has been able to hit a home run this year. That's always good to see. And with the Atlanta Braves, I do think they're going to be able to follow in his lead and they're going to be able to hit a little bit better. As you know, you know what, for him, he has been able to do a solid job of holding down the four. 34 punch outs and 27 in the third innings. He has given up five home runs, but only six walks as well. And for Joe Ross, seven walks to 21 in the third innings. Not great, not terrible. Giving up five home runs. That has been a little bit rough, but you take a look at the Washington Nationals. Even without Juan Soto, they've been able to get their power numbers up a little bit. And a big reason why is because they're just doing a great job of getting on base in general. Josh Harrison, Trey Turner down for what? Ryan Zimmerman, even Yadiel Hernandez. All hitting at least a 300 for the team. Throwing their Jody Mercer as well. You've got quite a few guys like Starlin Castro who are doing a relatively solid job of getting on base as well. And when you take a look at the Nationals bullpen, in past years it has been just a disaster to say the least. But this year, it's been a little bit better. Kyle Finnegan has come in. He's been able to hold down the fort. Brad Hand has been able to give you some solid innings, hitting Hudson as well. And then you take a look at the flip side for the Atlanta Braves. Bullpen for the team has been solid. A.J. Minter able to give you some solid innings. You've got Darren O'Day, who is currently with the New York Yankees. They wind up shipping giveaway in the offseason. So, as a result, you have to call upon Grant Dayton a little bit more. He's been able to hold it down. Now, Taylor Madzik, he's not been doing great things for the team, to say the least. He has been less than trustworthy, but Nate Jones has been able to step up 
up as a result. And for the Atlanta Braves, when you take a look at this roster, there's just no way it's going to continue the way that it is because Marcel Ozuna, Freddie Freeman, Ozzy Albies, along with Dansby Swanson, all hitting at 230 or lower for this team. You get back Christian Pache. He was not necessarily hitting before he went on the injured list, but Ronald Lacuna Jr., he has been all year long. Hitting at 333, he's been able to give the team nine home runs. I do like what I'm seeing out of him. And for Freddie Freeman, despite the fact that the batting average is low, 344 on base, I did think that you're going to get something out of him in this spot. I was only willing to make Braves uh, minus 122 favorite here. Anything at a plus 122 or higher would be a take on the Washington Nationals. I am seeing a plus 125, so that is something that appeals to me. And if you're taking a look at the run line as well, because that's something you want to take a look at with the Braves, I would have needed right around like plus 145. You're certainly not getting that, so I'm going to be targeting the Nationals in this spot, being able to get a little bit of a plus price. And with the total, I did wind up setting it at 8.8 with the Nationals. I know that they don't necessarily have a lot of guys that are aiming for home runs. Josh Bell has not been able to get it done for the team, but they do have a lot of guys getting on base, so I do think that small ball is going to be able to prevail in the spot. So we are going to be taking a look at an unjuiced 9 slash if the 8.5 gets a little bit of better juice over, and I'm going to be taking the Nationals with a plus price. 905 906 on the betting board. You've got the Milwaukee Brewers, and they're going to be hitting the road to face off against the Philadelphia Phillies. Aaron Supernola is going to be going for the Phillies. Meanwhile, Eric Lauer is on the bump for the Brewer. Brewers are finding themselves as sizable underdogs here. Anywhere between plus 163 and plus 171. Meanwhile, if you're taking a look at the Phillies, anywhere between minus 186 and minus 195. Your total on this game is anywhere between 7.5 and 8 on 7.5. Your over is minus 120, and the under is even on the 8 you're finding the under at anywhere between minus 115 and minus 120. Over is anywhere between even a minus 105. And with Eric Lauer, he wound up coming out and he had a tremendous start against the LA Dodgers. I don't quite know if he's going to be able to duplicate it here. He wound up having a really rough go of it during the 2020 season. Now, obviously, a condensed season, so it's hard to put overly much into that. But even in 2019, he was allowing the deep ball a little bit too much as well. So that is something that you do want to point out. And for the Philadelphia Phillies, this is a team that at home, when they're not committing plays in the infield that T-ballers should not be committing with not being able to throw the ball in, they've actually been able to do a relatively rock-solid job. And you just take a look at Aaron Nola for his career. His splits at home versus on the road, they are stark. This year at home, he's got a buck 37 ERA on the road. That is a 5 ERA. You take a look last year, he had a 250 ERA at home. On the road, that ERA winds up ballooning to a little bit north of four and a half. You even take a look at 2019, last full season. Home ERA, 291. Road ERA, 520. So, this is certainly someone that he pitches much better at Philadelphia. Three home runs given up in 37 and two-thirds innings. Now, with the Philadelphia Phillies, you always find yourself in danger with this bullpen. Hector Neris is a guy that I don't necessarily trust in. You wound up seeing Matt Moore wind up warming up as if he was going to be giving the team a long relief appearance in that game on Sunday. That's not a place where you want to be. Connor Brogdon has not been good. Sam Coonrod, not someone that you can be able to rely upon. Brandon Kitzler is not having a good year. And for the Milwaukee Brewers, guys like Josh Hader, Devin Williams are very trustworthy. Now, the bullpen from there could be a little bit hit or miss. Brad Boxberger, well... He's a guy that I don't necessarily like. Angel Perdomo, he is hit or miss. I actually like what you're seeing out of Patrick Weigel. You're able to get some long relief out of Jordan Zimmerman, but you take a look at this Brewers lineup as well. You wound up having a couple guys in the starting lineup that are able to give you a little bit of something, but small sample sizes. Luke Molly is someone who's 
wound up entering into yesterday, hitting a 333, but he had not necessarily played a lot. Getting back Christian Yelich, absolutely massive for this team. Colt Wong has been able to do a nice job, but really pass that. You take a look at it. Guys like Luis Odias, along with Daniel Vogelback, obviously Garcia. Lorenzo Kane is back, but he's been struggling. These guys have just not necessarily been able to get the job done. For the Philadelphia Phillies, being able to get back Bryce Harper on Sunday was nice. He wound up getting the day off yesterday, but he is starting to give you a little bit of something once again. Brad Miller, JT Riumito, along with their young shortstop and Nick Bain have been able to hit above a 300, though. You've got a guy in Alec Baum, D.D. Gregorius, these guys in the infield have been able to give you a little bit of something. Outfield has been a disaster. I mean, Odubo Herrera, Long Throwman Quinn, these guys are combined to hit a below a 100, so that has not necessarily been great for the scene, but you take a look at what you're going to be able to get out of Eric Lauer. I think it's going to be very minimal, and I do think that both of these teams are going to have a tough time putting bat to ball, especially with how dominant Nola is at home, so I wound up saying this sold at 7.3, so we're going to be taking that under. If you're taking a look at the run line in this game, I am currently seeing that at a little bit more of a plus price if you're taking a look at the Philadelphia Phillies. It's right in the neighborhood of plus 110. That actually appeals to me. I was willing to lay a very, very small number here with the Phillies, so getting a plus price here, that's what I'm going to be looking at. Taking the run line of the Philadelphia Phillies, and I am going to be taking this little under as well. 907, 908 on the betting board is the Dodgers versus the Chicago Cubs. Now, it looks like we're going to be getting a double dip here, so these rotation numbers might wind up changing. It is going to be in conjecture with 933, 934. We've got some very interesting stuff that is going on here, but for Dodgers versus the Chicago Cubs, it looks like in game one of this double dip, we've got two be determined starters. We were supposed to be getting a matchup between Clayton Kershaw and Adbear Alzole for today. It looks like you're probably going to be getting Kyle Hendricks in some form or fashion. I'm just going to do my best to be able to keep things straight in this one because we have got a whole lot going on, but with that said, if you're wanting to know what I want up setting Clayton Kershaw versus Adbear Ozole at for a 7 inning game, I want to make the Dodgers a little bit north of a $2 favorite. I want up setting that total at 5.2. And if you're looking at what I want up making the game that was supposed to be played on Monday, that was supposed to be Kyle Hendricks going up against Walker Buehler. I was looking at Buehler being a relatively solid favorite in that spot. I want up setting him as a minus 164 favorite. I set that total at 9.7. Now keep in mind, that was with the wind blowing out. Looks like wind is going to be blowing in, so we're probably not going to be having some totals until the morning, and both of these totals are going to be assuming that the wind is blowing in, but if you do wind up getting Walker Beeler along, Clayton Kershaw in some form or capacity, and Azole along with Kyle Hendricks in some form or capacity, probably going to be setting Azole as right around a plus 210-ish underdog with Hendricks probably more around a plus 165. He's given up 10 home runs at 22 and two-thirds innings, Mr. Hendricks has. Meanwhile, you take a look at Azole. He has been able to do a little bit of something for this team, but he's still not necessarily a guy that I'm fully going to be trusting in. Now, with the Cubs bullpen, it actually has been pretty solid. So, if you do wind up having Mr. Azole having to pitch in this game, I think that he's going to be able to do a okay job of being able to hold down the 40. He's able to give you some swings and misses. Sometimes gets a little bit out of control, but when you take a look at the LA Dodgers in general, this is a lineup in which it has been a little bit banged up but they were really able to bust out on Sunday against the Milwaukee Brewers. You've got my man Justin Turner down for one hitting at 337. Corey Seager, Mookie Betts, they've both been able to give you a little bit of something. AJ Pollock all of a sudden now is 15 RBI after he had like 8 in the win against the Milwaukee Brewers. And for the Chicago Cubs, this is a very hit or miss offense. They wind up busting out for 12 runs in their last game against the Cincinnati Reds. That winds up being a loss for them. And you just take a look at the games before that. They scored 3, 6, 9, 0, 0, 7, 0, 3, 15, 4, 16, 3, 4, 13, 
two, zero, three. I mean, it is all over the place with this team. You've got Chris Bryant, who's hitting a 323 with nine home runs. He has been tremendous. Javi Baez is giving you 22 RBI. He's able to hit for power, not necessarily hitting for average, and he really never walks. 270 on base. Jason Hayward hitting below the Mendoza line length. Ian Happ. Wilson Contreras, batting average isn't necessarily there. He's been able to give you seven home runs, but you take a look at the Dodgers being able to get some rest for that bullpen. That is very big. Kenley Jansen still not a guy that you necessarily trust in, and when you take a look at having both Walker Buehler out there along with Clayton Kershaw possibly, you're probably not going to need to look too much into the bullpen with the Cubs. You probably are going to need to use Craig Kimbrell in some spot. You're probably going to be looking at a guy like Adele Maples, Rex Brother, giving you some innings, but with that said, like I said, if we wind up getting Kershaw versus Azole, anything above a 5 is going to be a take on the under for me, and I'd be setting Clayton Kershaw as a little bit north of a $2 favorite. If you're taking a look at something like a Walker Buehler versus Kyle Hendricks, I'd be probably taking a look at anything above a 6 under, so 5.5 or lower would be a take on the over, and I'd probably be setting Walker Buehler's more around a minus 165-ish favorite. We've got a lot of moving numbers on this. I will have that updated on the spreadsheet once we know a little bit more. 909-910 on the bank board. You've got the St. Louis Cardinals, and they're going to be put, taking on the New York Metropolitans. Jacob DeGrom is going to be going for the Metropolitans. Meanwhile, Quan Young Kim is going to be going for the St. Louis Cardinals. Your total on this game is 6.5 over and under are anywhere between minus 105 minus 115. If you're looking at the Mets, you're going to be finding them anywhere between minus 185 and minus 195. Meanwhile, your plus price here with the Cardinals, anywhere between plus 160 and plus 173. And for Jacob DeGrom, he is getting no run support whatsoever. The Mets have scored a combined 12 runs for him in five games. That is just absolutely terrible. I mean, this is a guy that just keeps on losing these games like 2-1, to 1-0. One, one to zero. I mean, what more does a man need to do to be able to get a win? It's absolutely terrible when you've got a guy with a 0-51 ERA and a 2-2 two two record. 59 punch-outs and 35 innings. He's issued four walks and two home runs at that time. Meanwhile, you take a look at Kim. He's been able to do a relatively solid job, and it does look like, according to ESPN, we might be getting, you don't mess with the Johan Oviedo in this spot as well. If you wind up getting Oviedo or Kim, it's going to be relatively the same because with Oviedo right now, a 472 career ERA, he's been able to give this team a little bit of something so far this year. A combined nine and two-thirds innings, giving up three runs. He's been relatively rock solid. And if you do wind up getting Kim in this spot, he has been able to do a good job of being able to hold it down as well. A guy that doesn't necessarily walk a lot of guys, does a good job of being able to limit some hard contact. He does need to be locating very well, but he's got a 329 ERA so far this year. And his punch-out rate is actually up as well. 16 strikeouts in 13 and two-thirds innings. Never really been known for a swing and miss. And for the card Got to expect whether it be Kim or you don't mess with the Yohan Oviedo that they're probably going to be going right around five innings. So that means that you're probably going to be looking at guys like Giovanni Gallegos, someone like a Seth Eldridge who winds up just getting called up to the big leagues, Genesis Cabrera to be able to give you some innings. And they've been relatively solid. Keep in mind, the Cardinals are one of the better offenses out there in baseball so far this year. Meanwhile, the Mets have been one of the worst of them. You've had Brandon Nimmo be able to give you something along with J.D. Davis, but both of these guys are banged up. Jeff McNeil has not been able to bust out overly much. Seems like things might be starting to turn around from now with 231 batting average. And Jonathan VR has been able to give you a little bit of something, but Francisco Lindor hitting buck 71. That's been terrible. Dom Smith seems to be giving you something as well, but right now, Pete Alonso's five home runs leads the team. 17 home runs going into Tuesday is the worst out there in the big leagues. And for the St. Louis Cardinals, even though Paul DeYoung's not hitting for average, he has been able to give you six home runs so far this season. You take a look at what you've been able to get out of some of these other ancillary pieces as well, like a Tommy Edmond. He's hitting at 290. You've got Dylan Carlson, along with Nolan Arenado hitting in that neighborhood of 265. You're able to throw in there Tyler O'Neill, who's able to hit a 270. And you've had a little bit of something not having Yadier Molina out there has certainly hurt this team. But whether you wind up getting, you don't mess with the Johan Oviedo or a 
if you wind up getting Kwon Young Kim because there's really going to be maybe a five cent difference between these two guys, so it's relatively rock solid. I'm going to be making this a sizable favorite here with the New York Mets. I realize that the bets have just not been able to go for them, but against Kim, I make him right around a minus 227 favorite. Against Yohan Oviedo, probably relatively the same, and I'd be willing to lay up to about minus 120-ish here on the run line of the Mets. I'm right now seeing that at minus 110, so I'm going to wind up laying that run line. I want to saying this total at 6.1, regardless of which of these two guys wind up going out there. So I'm taking this total under, and I'm going to be taking the Mets run line. 9-11, 9-12 is going to be a very interesting one, as you've got the San Francisco Giants, and they're going to be taking on the Colorado Rockies. This is one of these double dips as well, which I find very fascinating. Now, one of these games, it's going to be Alex Wood versus Undecided for the Colorado Rockies, and it looks like we're probably going to be getting Aaron Sanchez against Herman Marquez, so that is going to be very fascinating. When it was Sanchez versus Marquez, I was supposed to go for Monday. I wound up setting Sanchez as a minus 112 favorite. I had that nine inning total at 11.2. I'd probably be bumping it down so that way anything above an eight in this spot would be a take on the under. So that is where I'm going to be looking with that regard and with obviously not knowing who the starter is going to be in the other game for the Colorado Rockies. Hard to give you too much there, but when you take a look at both of these teams, bullpen for the Rockies has been very rocky this year. They're in the bottom five of the big leagues when it comes to that and when you take a look at the San Francisco Giants, they started out very good with their bullpen. They have really been waning recently, and what you do like about the Giants, though, is the fact that you've got Buster Posey. 359 batting average, six home runs. He has been able to do an absolutely amazing job for the team. And then you just look down the line at some of these guys that are struggling. Mikey Stramski, Brandon Belt, Brandon Crawford, Austin Dickerson, along with Wilmer Flores, Mauricio Dubon, Darren Ruff, all guys hitting at 220 or lower. Now bringing in Mike Talkman as they help them out. And then when you take a look at the Colorado Rockies, this is a team that all of a sudden is putting bat to ball. You've got Ryan McMahon, who's been able to hit eight home runs for this team. He has been just on a terror at home. Remy Tapia is hitting a 320. Trevor Story is hitting right around a 285. The power outside of what you've been able to get out of Ryan McMahon has been a little bit hit or miss, but CJ Crone, after he had a rough start to the year, he has been just on a 10-day just mashing, I guess you could call it expose. Jonathan Daza has been able to step up. He's hitting nearly a 285. Now, with guys coming out of the bullpen, like a Tyler Kinley and company, it's not necessarily too terrific. And you do want to note this with Aaron Sanchez of the San Francisco Giants. He's got an ERA of a 222 for the year, but he's only went north of four and two-thirds innings a few times. He has not went north of five innings so far this year, so you can expect a whole ton of length out of him. Meanwhile, Thurman Marquez, he's got a lifetime 350-ish ERA on the road. At home, it's more like a 4-9, which is why I did wind up setting him as a little bit of an underdog, and if you do wind up getting that matchup, that's where I'm going to be looking with Alex Wood. He has actually been absolutely tremendous for the San Francisco Giants team. He has come in. He's got a sub-two ERA. He's getting some good swings and misses. I do like what I'm seeing out of him, and I I think that he's going to be able to do a good job of being able to preserve the bullpen as well because he's been able to go six plus innings quite a bit, which means that you're not going to need to see a whole lot of like Sam Selman along with Matt Whistler and company. So that's currently where I'm looking. A lot of moving parts with this series as I know that it was supposed to be 9-11, 9-12 on the original rotation number. I know that 9-31, 9-32 is going to be in play. Check back in the morning on the spreadsheet slash my Twitter feed at Jaren's 41 for set plays there, but hopefully I was able to give you a little bit of something with that regard. 9-13, 914 on the betting board. It is the Pittsburgh Pirates hitting the road to face off against the San Diego Padres. As of right now, the betting board has it as to be determined. ESPN is Ryan Weathers, so I have set my 
numbers accordingly with Ryan Weathers. Meanwhile, it is going to be Mitch Thunderkeller for the Pittsburgh Pirates because the betting board doesn't know who's going to be the starter for the Padres. This is currently to be determined, but I can tell you right now, if it does wind up being Mr. Weathers, this is going to be a rather large price, right around minus $2 with the Padres because with Keller, 13 walks in 18 and two-thirds innings. He does a good job of being able to keep down the contact in general, but even that from has been an issue. 24 hits, give it up in 18 and two-thirds innings, 198 whip, 820 ERA. Now he is backed up by a bullpen that's relatively solid. Richard Rodriguez has been able to give you a little bit of something. I like the fact that you've now got Michael Felice back in the fold, Sam Hour. These guys have been able to do a relatively solid job. And when you take a look at the Pirates lineup in general, they are able to put bat to ball. They're not necessarily a team that's going to drive in a bunch of home runs going into yesterday. Just 20 and 27 games, but you do have quite a few guys that are getting on base. Adam Frazier, Brian Reynolds, Colin Moran, only between a 285 and a 295. Even someone like a Gregory Palunco who wound up beginning the year very, very rough. He's been able to give you a tad bit of something. Jacob Sellings, whenever he's at the catcher spot, hitting right around 250. And then when you take a look at the Padres, Fernando Tatis Jr., after having a rough start to the year and being on the injured list, now has eight home runs. He has really been able to find it for these team Trent Grisham, hitting above a 320. Nice. Will Myers, he has been able to give you a little bit of something. I know that he's been in and out of the full Tommy Pham wound up returning yesterday as well. I have not necessarily been too bullish on him, but Jay Cronenworth doing solid work. Manny Machado needs to pick it up with regards to batting average, but the on-base has been there for him as well. And when you take a look at Weathers, whenever he's been starting, he has been able to give you a whole lot of something because he's right now got a 0.55 ERA. He's given up one solo home run at 16 and a third inning, 16 strikeouts. He's got electrifying stuff. And even if you'll wind up only getting a couple innings out of Weathers, I do realize that the Padres have used their bullpen for the most innings of any team out there in the big league so far this season, but they have been able to have the best ERA of any bullpen in the National League as well, which is why I wound up setting them as a minus 208 favorite in this spot. And if you're taking a look at Weathers versus Keller, set this total at 8.7 because I do think that the Padres should be able to get the job done in this spot. I do think that if you wind up having this exact matchup, I'd probably be willing to look at a run line price of the Padres as long as it's minus 115 or greater. Those are my initial thoughts there. If we wind up getting something different, it will be listed on the spreadsheet, but just initial thoughts on Pirates versus Padres. 915, on the betting board. The New York Yankees are going to be playing OC Houston Astros. Zach Greinke goes for the Astros. Meanwhile, Domingo Hudeman is going to be going for the Yankees. Your total on this game is between 8.5 and 9 on the 8.5, or if it's just minus 120, the under is even on the 9. Under is minus 115, and the over is minus 105 with the Yankees. Slight favorites here. Anywhere between minus 110 and minus 116 plus price here with the Astros. Actually seeing as bad as a minus 106 out there, as good as a plus 106. And when you take a look at the Houston Astros, I do feel like this is a team that should be a slight favorite in this spot. I wound up setting them personally at a minus 117. So pretty much our reverse line because with Zach Greinke, he has been there, done that. And with Domingo Ramon, certainly he's had a good last couple of starts, but he looked really rough to begin the year. He wound up getting sent down to the alternate site with the Yankees. Bullpen has been very solid, but with Ramon, you always have a little bit of a fear of hard contact as well because if you even take a look at the monster year that he wound up having during the 2019 campaign, it still wasn't like he was necessarily not giving up a lot of contact. He wound up having a 4.03 ERA that year at a good K to walk rate, but he was giving up quite a few home runs. And with this Houston Astros lineup, they're able to go off and they're able to give you a whole bunch of offense. You've got Jose Altuve back at the fold along with Michael Brantley, Yuli Gurriel, all these guys that are hitting above a 275 for this bunch. Now Kyle Tucker, only right around a buck 88, but He's been able to give you 15 RBI and 5 home run. Miles Straw has been able to do a better job of getting on base recently for this bunch. Alex 
Bregman is hitting a 285. So you've got a bunch of good players for the team, even an LMNDCS when you need him. He's hitting a 260. And for the Yankees, they were able to find a whole lot of something against the Detroit Tigers and the Baltimore Orioles. But those are the two downtrodden teams in all of baseball we were talking about with Curtis Rogers. The fact that I just feel like the recent win streak that the Yankees have went on, just a little bit of a product of the teams that they were playing. Now, I do think that they are going to be a little bit better than they were the first 15 or so games of the season. You've got Giancarlo San, Gio Urshela, DJ LeMayu, all in between a 269 and a 275. Aaron Judge, he's got seven home runs, hitting a 281. He's back online, but Clint Frazier, Gary Sanchez, Rudinand Odor, Brett Gardner, even... Mike Ford, all these guys hitting below the Mendoza line of 200 has not been terrific for them. And for the Astros, not having Inoli Paredes out there in the bullpen has been tough, but Brooks Braley, Ryan Presley, these guys have been relatively rock solid, even in Andre Scrub. Even though he walked a bunch of guys last season, he was able to keep runs from scoring. And for the Yankees, you do like the fact that you've got Justin Wilson, the recently acquired Rwandi Peralta, even some like a Chad Green or Aldis Chapman out there in the bullpen, which is why I did wind up saying this little 8.3. I'm going to be taking this little under, but with that said, I felt like the Astros should be the favorite in the spot, so taking a small post price there. 917-918 on the bank board. The Boston Red Sox are going to be playing us the Detroit Tigres. We've got Michael Fulmer is going to be going for the Tigers. Nick Pavetta's on the bump for the Boston Red Sox. Not quite sure why this game is off the board, because I was seeing this well above 24 hours in advance, but as of right now, we don't have numbers up on this game, but when I take a look at this one, wound up saying the Red Sox as a minus 187 favorite and a total of 9.6. So, 10 or higher, I'm going to be taking a look at the under 9.5 or lower. I'm going to be taking a look at an over for Nick Pavetta. He wound up being absolutely terrible a couple years ago with Philadelphia Phillies. He's always had a walks issue, and he still does. 17 walks in 25 two-thirds innings, but he's kept the hard contact down, only giving up one home run. That has been good for him. And for Michael Fulmer, he's actually looked much better so far this year. 21 innings, he has given up three home runs, but by and large, he's been able to do a relatively rock-solid job for this Detroit Tigers team, but you take a look at the Detroit Tigers in their starting lineup that they had on Sunday against the New York Yankees. They wound up having one guy leaving the game with above a 218 batting average. Miguel Cabrera is officially terrible. Robbie Grossman is not doing anything. Akil Badu, after a good start, he has really waned. They have also got the worst bullpen ERA out there in the big leagues. Gregory Soto is able to give you a little bit of something in the past that it's really rough. Now, for the Boston Red Sox, I do think that Darwinson Hernandez, someone like a Josh Taylor, Garrett Whitlock, these guys are going to regress a little bit with regards to their ERAs as well, but for the Red Sox, this is a team that they're in the top five in pretty much every offensive category. You've got quite a few guys at the top that are doing a great job. Xander Bogarts, J.D. Martinez, both hitting above a 340 for this bunch. Alex Verdugo, just above a 300. Rafael Devers, he's been able to give you seven home runs. He's been solid with Martinez. Nine home runs so far this season, so you've got a whole lot going on there. I feel like the Red Sox should just be a massive favorite given everything that we've got going on right here. Like I said, minus 187 on the money line. On the run line, I'd be willing to lay up to about a minus 105, maybe even a minus 110 in this spot as well. And like I said, I think below 9.5 going to be a take on the over here. 919-920 on the bang board. You got the Walker Texas Rangers in the road face up against the Minnesota Twins. J.A. Hepepere is going to be going for the Twins. Meanwhile, Kyle Gibson is on the bump for the Rangers. If you're looking at the Rangers, you're going to be getting a plus price here. That plus price is anywhere between plus 129 and plus 142. Meanwhile, if you're looking to lay it with the Twins, that's anywhere between minus 149, 
minus 154. Total is anywhere between 8 and 8.5. And on the 8, over is anywhere between minus 110 and minus 120. The under is anywhere between even and minus 110. On the 8.5, under is anywhere between minus 120 and minus 125. The over is anywhere between even and plus 105. And when you take a look at the Texas Rangers, you have to evaluate this team a little bit differently home to road because at home, this is a team that they're generating right around 3.5-ish runs per game on the road a little bit over 5, which I think is very intriguing. But for Kyle Gibson, he has not allowed a single home run in 33 and a third innings. Going to be going up against his former team in the Minnesota Twins. He's really been able to blossom. 11 walks in 33 and a third innings. That's not bad. It's not necessarily terrific, but take a look at the Minnesota Twins. Offensively, this is a team that they've really been able to get things going. You've got Nelson Cruz along Byron Buxton. Both of these guys have seven plus home runs for Buxton, hitting right around a 400. It's been absolutely tremendous. And then you take a look at Alex Kurloff. He wound up entering into yesterday with four home runs in his last three games. Now you need a couple guys to be able to pick it up. Jake Cave, Ore Palunco, along with Max Kepler. I'm quite frankly the entire catcher spot. Not necessarily doing well for the team, but Luis Arias, Josh Donaldson, of guys hitting between a 280 and a 290. And for the Texas Rangers, the offense has been able to pick up ever since Willie Callum got back in the fold. On base percentage hovering right around 400. He's hitting above 8325. Nate Lowe has been able to give you quite a few RBI 20 plus from Joey Gallo. Only hitting right around a 220 to a 225. But on base percentage is hovering around a 400. Even a guy like an Adolis Garcia. He has waned a little bit recently, but he's been able to give the team five home runs. He's doing a solid job. Isaiah Kinnear, Falefa, Charlie Culverson at the bottom of the lineup. These guys have been good. Now, you do want to know, with the Texas Rangers, bullpen has been terrible. Taylor Hearn has not necessarily been able to do the job. Brett Martin is able to give you a little bit of something. Brett Geis not necessarily doing terrific work. And then you take a look at the Twins. Alex Colome has been a hot mess for this team, and that's putting it very politely. You have not been able to get a whole lot out of Randy Dominic, and it's so bad that he's not even with the team right now. They might have put him on the, and I air quotes here, injured list. Cody Sasha, Caleb Theobar. These guys have been a little bit rough as well, which is why I do think that there is some value in this spot when you take a look at the Texas Rangers with the Rangers. I wound up setting their plus price right around plus 134. So I needed a little bit more than that. Seeing about a plus 140, that does appeal to me with Jay Happ. He is someone that has a history of giving up a lot of fly ball home runs. Now, he is out there in Minnesota. Being that it is the springtime in Minnesota, it is going to be a little bit cooler. So that certainly is helping him out. And you take a look at him. Buck 96 ERA so far this year. Seven walks and two home runs issued in 23 innings. But he's not necessarily going to give you a ton of length either, which is a big reason why, why I also set this total at 8.8 with the struggling bullpen, so we're going to be digging this total over along with the plus price with the Rangers. 921-922 on the betting board. The Cleveland Indians hit the road face off against the Kansas City Royals. Mike Viner hopes to be a major part of the Kansas City Royals' success as he goes for them. Meanwhile, Sam Antiges is on the bump for the Cleveland Indians. Indians anywhere between plus 114 and plus 128. Underdogs, if you're looking at the Royals, anywhere between minus 136 and minus 140 is your price there, and your total on this game is 9. With the over, it's anywhere between minus 110 and minus 120. Under anywhere between even and minus 110. We're seeing a 9.5 populate as well. Under is minus 125, and the over is plus 105. And with what you're going to be able to get out of the Kansas City Royals, I do think that this is going to be a take on them. I wound up setting them as minus 147 favorites. I do recognize that Mike Miner is a guy that's taken yard quite a bit, but he's also going up against a Cleveland Indians lineup that, let's face it, it just has not necessarily been too tremendous to this point so far this season. And with Framiel Reyes dealing with injury, it certainly has been a little bit rough. He wound up returning to the lineup yesterday, which certainly should be able to help him out. He, Jose Ramirez, both guys hitting above a 280 for this bunch, but they were the only 
only two guys in the starting lineup yesterday with a batting average above a 250. You've been able to get a little bit of something out of Josh Naylor. He's hitting a 250, but you take him out of the fold. Nobody else other than those three hitting above a 222. Eddie Rosario has been a mess. Cesar Hernandez hitting below the Mendoza line. Yu Chang, Roberto Perez, all these guys have not been able to pick it up. Meanwhile, for the Kansas City Royals, they've got a lot of guys that do a good job of being able to get on base. Andrew Benatendi, Whit Merrifield, Salvador Perez, Gerard Dyson, all hitting at least a 265 for this bunch. Ryan O'Hearn, Hunter Dozier, these guys need to pick it up, but you have been able to get Carlos Santana with a 390 on base. He's been able to hit a couple home runs for the team. Orde Soler has been a little bit of a hot mess, but keep in mind, he had 49 home runs a few seasons ago, and for the Royals, bullpen has been terrific for the team. Josh Staymount has been able to come, and he's been able to do a nice job. I like what you're able to get out of Greg Holland, even Tyler Zuber has been able to come in and give you good innings. For the Indians, that's your saving grace. Guys like James Karinchuk, Emmanuel Clase, these guys have been absolutely terrific. Even Cal Quantrill's able to give you a couple innings, and you're probably going to need it here because with Hentages, he wound up coming out of the bullpen to begin the year. Five and two-thirds innings, and he's allowed three home runs. That's not necessarily what you want to see. A good up-and-coming prospect, but I just don't know how much length you're going to be able to get out of him in general. He's a six-foot-eight gentleman that's like 245 pounds, so he's a big guy, but I take a look at it. I think that he might not necessarily be too long for this game, which is why I do think that it's very interesting to take a look at this from a total standpoint. I did wind up setting it at 9.7 because I was mentioning it with Miner. He himself gets taken yard quite a bit. Six home runs of 25 and two-thirds innings. Senwax as well. It's not necessarily too prolific with that regard, but I do think that the Royals have a nice edge here. And if you're taking a look at the run line, I find it intriguing that you're having it at right around plus 135 with the Kansas City Royals in this spot. I was willing to take the Royals run line at anything above a plus 134. So I see a little bit of a differential that is bigger on the money line rather than the run line. So I'm going to be just sticking with the regular money line here, but also taking this little over. 9.23, 9.24 on the betting board. It is going to be the Tampa Bay Rays hitting the run to face off against the LA Angels. It was supposed to be Jose Quintana going for the Angels. His start wound up getting moved up. You rarely see that to yesterday, which is why this is currently to be determined as I do this. Meanwhile, Shane McCallahan is going to be going for the Tampa Bay Rays. This is a game of which, when it was McCallahan versus Quintana, the Angels were a slight favorite right around minus 112-ish. The Rays were finding themselves right around even money. Plus 104 was the max, and your total was 8.5 with the over of minus 120 and the under of even. Now that the Angels have decided to flip that in, it's to be determined. It makes this a little bit tougher with Shoy Otani getting scratched. It really does change around things for the Angels. And with the Angels, you've actually had a halfway decent bullpen. I do think that you might wind up getting Alex Cobb in this spot. And if you do wind up getting Alex Cobb, I'd be willing to set the Angels as probably right around minus 110-ish. I think that you probably have the same numbers that you did with Kitana, and that would probably dictate a take with the Tampa Bay Rays because I do think that betting markets are going to look a little bit more favorably on Cobb than Kitana and for Cobb, and it's been a really rough year for him. 23 punch outs in 16 and two-thirds innings, but he has an ERA that's hovering right around a 7-11, which means that he's always open to giving up runs. Meanwhile, for McCallan, he wanted making one start against the Oakland A's. Two runs coming up in four innings. Nothing great, nothing awful. Young 24-year-old, and for the Rays, it seems like the bullpen is starting to get online. They wanted making a lot of wholesale changes during the offseason. Ryan Thompson is someone that you're able to rely upon for a few innings. Hunter Shirkland has been solid. Jeffrey Springs, Cody Reed. I do like these guys. And with the Tampa Bay Rays, you always fear the fact that this is a team that they punch out a lot ever since the beginning of the 2020 season. Lead the league in strikeouts, but you do have a guy in Francisco Mejia who's been able to get on base to 88 batting average. Randy Rosarena is hitting right around a 270 along with Manuel Margot. Now, Austin Meadows, Mark Brasso, William Dama, Mike Zanino, Brandon Lau, pretty much whatever you're looking at in the outfield in general outside of Kevin Kiermaier 
It's been a hot mess for this team. Guys hitting below a 225, and then you take a look at the Angels. How about Shoei Otani, Mike Trout, Jared Walsh, Justin Upton, Albert Pools, all with at least five home runs. Now with Pools hitting below the Mendoza line of 200, but Jared Walsh hitting a 356. Mike Trout hitting a 413. Anthony Rendon is back. He's been able to fire on all cylinders. Jose Iglesias along with Daniel Fletcher. They're able to do a relatively solid job as well, so I do think that runs are probably going to be a plenty in this spot. I'd probably be looking at a total that would be probably in the neighborhood of a 9.2, so a 9 or lower, and I'd be taking a look at the over if it winds up being Alex Cobb and Shane McCallan. If it winds up being a little bit different, would be probably trying to pivot a bit, but with Alex Cobb, probably going to be making him right around that minus 110 to minus 112 favorite that we're seeing a little bit earlier. I will be making sure that Alex Cobb is indeed the starter, and I will be posting that in the morning as a result. 925-926 on the main board. Oakland A's are going to be playing mostly Toronto, a.k.a. Dunedin Blue Jays. Well, they used to be the Dunedin Blue Jays. It looks like they're going back to Buffalo, but it is going to be Anthony Kay who's going to be going for them. Meanwhile, Cole Irvin is on the bump for the A's. The A's are finding themselves anywhere between minus 113 and minus 119. Meanwhile, if you're taking a look at Toronto, anywhere between minus 101 and plus 109 with your total, anywhere between 8.5 and, and 9 on the 8.5. Over Zeus of minus 120, the under is even. If you're looking at the 9, the under is anywhere between minus 115 and minus 120. Over is anywhere between even and minus 105. And when you take a look at the Oakland A's and whether you've been able to get out of Cole Irvin recently, he has been able to give this team some very good starts after having a rough beginning of the season and quite frankly, a rough beginning to his career because if you combine his first like two or three starts of the season with his career out there in Philadelphia, north of 6 ERA, but he's been able to find it recently for the season. 367 ERA. He has been able to get right around 25 punch outs and 27 Innings, but he's cut the walks down. Only four walks. That is huge for Anthony Kay. He's been able to give the team a couple starts in recent years ever since he was acquired as a part of the Marcus Stroman trade, but a 1080 ERA so far this year. He's made one start, three and a third innings, got completely shelled by the Kansas City Royals. If you take a look at him throughout his career, doesn't necessarily give up a lot of hard contact, but he's got a walks per nine rate of four and a half. Now, the good news is he's backed up by a bullpen that entered into the week with the top ERA out there in the big leagues. Rafael Dolis is able to do a good job late in games. You've also been able to get guys like Joel Payampas doing a solid job. David Phelps is someone that I do like. Jordan Romano is able to give you multiple innings, so you do have a lot of arms for them. And for the Oakland A's, J.B. Wendelkin has been able to do a great job of coming out of the bullpen. I do like what you're able to get out of Raymond Goudon. He has been able to emerge for this team. I don't trust in Sumergio Romo whatsoever, but Yasmero Petit, Lou Trevino, Jordan Weems, these guys are all doing their job. And for the Oakland A's, what is always the case for this team is the fact that they wind up relying upon the three-run homer. You don't have a ton of guys that are able to get on base, but Mark Hanna at the top of fold right around a 380 on base. That has been very encouraging. Ramon Laureano seems to be picking it up. Matt Olson, seven home runs, 300 batting average going into yesterday. Jed Lowry, Stephen Piscotti are able to give you a little bit of something as well for the Toronto Blue Jays. You wind up welcoming back a pair of guys in Teoscar Hernandez along George Springer that should be able to make a big imprint for the team. Now Springer wound up getting the day off yesterday, but you saw her getting six home runs out of Marcus Simeon, Bobachet, Flaggero Jr. Both have seven of their own for Flaggero Jr. Nearly a 500 on base going into yesterday. He's been absolutely terrific. Randall Gritchick hitting a 300 for this team. Gavon Biggio needs to pick it up, but I do think that you are going to be able to get quite a few runs out of the Oakland A's in this spot. I do think that Irvin is going to be able to build off of some of the good performances that he's had recently. And keep in mind, this is going to be a night game for Oakland, which means that the Marine layer is going to be out, probably knocking down some balls. But despite that, I wound up saying this little at 9.5. So I'm going to be taking this little over, set the A's as a minus 131 favorite. So we're going to be taking the Athletics as well. We move on to 927, 928 on the betting board. The Baltimore 
Warriors lift the road to face off against the Seattle Mariners. Justin Gitter Dunn is going to be going for the Mariners. Meanwhile, you've got Ore Lopez is going to be going for the Orioles. Orioles are finding themselves underdogs anywhere between plus 115 and plus 120. Meanwhile, if you're taking a look at the Seattle Mariners, anywhere between minus 127 and minus 135. And your draw this game is 8.5. The over is just off anywhere between minus 110 and minus 120. Unders anywhere between even and minus 110. And with Justin Dunn, he has been able to get her done when it comes to being able to just give you good performances in general, despite the fact that he's had his walks issues throughout his career. Those have pestered a little bit this year. 13 walks in 20 and a third innings. He had a 398 ERA and a 128 whip. He does a good job of being able to deny contact and with the Baltimore Orioles. You've right now got Cedric Mullins, who's doing a great job for this team, hitting a 321. If you take a look at the rest of the starting lineup yesterday, you've got Freddie Galvis, Pedro Severino, hitting between a 216 and a 270. Austin, the Sayes kid. Four home runs in 56 at-bats with a 250 batting average, but Trey Bumo, Mancini, Mikel Franco may be able to turn it around a little bit, but you've still got Chancisco, Pat Valleca, Rio Ruiz, Roman Urias, all these guys, they're in below the Mendoza line of 200, and the Seattle Mariners have a lot of slugs at the bottom of their lineup as well. Kyle Lewis, I think to the point of our good buddy Curtis Rogers, he's going to be able to turn it around. He's hitting below a 200 along Taylor Trammell, Tom Murphy, Dylan Moore, Ode Mamaloe, so these guys have been tough with Mitch Anniger, Ty France at the top of the fold, hitting right around 270 along J.P. Crawford and for Hanniger. 21 RBI, 7 home runs, and we were talking about it. This Mariners bullpen has been lights out. Will Vest has been terrific. Keenan Middleton, amazing. Anthony Mashevich, he has been able to come and he's been able to do his job. Drew Steckenrider, list goes on and on. You've got a bunch of guys that are able to come out and do a good job. And for the Baltimore Orioles, I will say, Dylan Tate has been able to give you some solid innings out of the pen. Lon Tanner Scott, Cole Solzer, Cesar Valdez. Valdez, I feel like he's been a little bit lucky, but he's been able to get the job done along Trey Lankin. So I do think that this is going to be an intriguing spot here with Lopez, though. This is someone that I recognize had a good start against the New York Yankees, but at 740 ADRA throughout his career, he's allowing more than two home runs per nine innings, six home runs given up at 21 and two-thirds so far this year. That is a little bit of a black eye from I want to setting the Seattle Mariners as a pretty sizable favorite in this spot. I was willing to lay up to minus 166. I set this total at 9.2 just because Lopez is someone that winds up giving up a lot of hard contact. I'm going to hope for a little bit of an unjuiced time, but with that said, the Eight and a half at minus 110 is something that I'm certainly going to be taking a look at. So we're going to be laying it here with the Seattle Mariners, and I'm going to be taking this total over. And we wrap things up with my New York Post for the day, 929, 930 on the ring for the Cincinnati Reds. Yes, we are on the Cincinnati, and they are on to taking on the Chicago White Sox. Dylan Cease is going to be going for the Sox. Jeff Hoffman on the bump for the Reds. You're finding the total anywhere between 9 to 9.5. On the 9, over is juice of minus 135, and the under is plus 115. Meanwhile, if you're looking at the 9.5, under is at minus 115 to minus 120. The over is anywhere between even and minus 105. And the White Sox, slight favorite here. Anywhere between minus 115 and minus 125 plus price here with the Red Legs is anywhere between plus 105 and seeing as high as a plus 110. And when I take a look at this one, the New York Post play of the day is the over because I wound up setting this total at 10. So I do think that you're going to get quite a bit of offense with the Reds. They're averaging over 7.5 runs per game at home. They've been absolutely magnificent with that regard. And then when you take a look at the White Sox, on the road they're averaging over 5 runs per game. They're in the top 4 with that regard as well. When you take a look at the White Sox, you got to figure that guys like Jose Abreu and company are going to be able to pick it up. I do like what you're able to get out of Yerdeman Mercedes. He has been able to do an absolute amazing job for the team so far this year. Even a Madrigal hitting right around a 300. Luis Robert has been able to give you something. He's hitting a 316. Yoan Moncada has been able to pick it up, so that has been terrific. And Tim Anderson is back after he spent the beginning part of the year on the injured list. And you take a look at Dylan Cease. He has been issuing quite a few walks. Four and a half walks per nine innings. He's actually looked much better recently. And for the White Sox, you got to figure that the bullpen is going to be able to pick it up. You've got guys like Liam Hendricks who are starting to get back online. Cody Ewer is a guy that I like. I really like Aaron Bummer as well. Whenever you wind up getting 
getting Michael Kopech out of the bullpen. He's been able to do solid work, but with the Reds, the bullpen was a complete and utter disaster against the Chicago Cubs. TJ Antone is still a guy that I trust, and he wound up having a bad showing in that one, but Amir Garrett is somebody like Heath Embry, Ryan Hendricks, and company, though. These guys have been a little bit rough, but I do think that their bats are going to be able to make up for it. You just take a look at what you're going to be able to get out of this team in general. It's a whole lot of power because you've got a guy, Nick Cassianos, hitting a 330. He's been able to give the team nine home runs. Joey Vado, Eugenio Suarez, Jesse Winker, Taylor Naquin, all between five and six home runs for Naquin, hitting right around 271 with a 375 on base. You've also got Jesse Winker hitting a 365. The entire catcher spot, Tucker Barnard, has been able to do a very solid job. Even Stevenson, he's hitting at 364. So you've got so many guys that are doing a terrific job on this Reds lineup. And with Jeff Hoffman, he has a career 611 ERA, but you want to keep in mind that his ERA career at Coors Field, which is where he's made 40 out of, I think, like his 68 career appearances, is north of a 7.5. So he's actually been much better when he's been away from there. But I do think that you're going to be able to get quite a few runs out of a pair of high-scoring offenses. And I do think that the Reds, as they've been doing all year long, going to be able to get the job done at home. I set them as a slight favorite, so I'm going to be taking the plus price here with the Reds and the New York Post play of the day is the over. And that will wrap things up for the Baseball Betting Podcast on this wonderful Tuesday. Big thanks to Curtis Rogers out there with 710 ESPN in Seattle for joining me in the last segment. If you like what you're hearing from this fine podcast, you're able to subscribe wherever you get your podcast. Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and tune in. You've got one of two ways we all find questions if you have them for this podcast. My Twitter timeline at your 41. Keep in mind the letters EM. They mean does not matter. Otherwise, via an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. And then from there, you're able to send your questions, comments, segment ideas, what have you into there as well. Hopefully you're all safe, healthy, and doing well. I will be coming at you guys every single day throughout this college basketball season, which means I'll be coming at you guys once again tomorrow. Thank you so much for tuning in.